The construction industry in Indiana has depended on Quality Supply and Tool, a local family-owned business, to deliver quality sales and service over the last 25 years. The employees make the difference, like sales expert Nick Worley. What sets us apart is we only offer quality tools and supplies from quality manufacturers. We have a quality-trained sales and service staff knowledgeable of the products we sell and offer. Quality. It's in our name. On South Harding Street in Indy, plus Jeffersonville, Bloomington, and Lafayette, Quality Supply and Tool thinks outside the box. Store. Only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. He has won his fourth Indianapolis 500. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson. Brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box. Store on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Good evening to you on a Tuesday and a good-looking Tuesday it has been here in Indianapolis, Indiana. My name is Jake Quarry. Mike Thompson will be joining here shortly as we do Beyond the Bricks. Episode number two, as a matter of fact, my thanks to Eddie Garrison, as always, as well as Sam Fritz for their behind-the-scenes work as well. To Joe Koppel here at Urban One Radio in downtown Indianapolis for putting us in touch with Quality Supply and Tool. We thank them for their sponsorship of this program. Again, think outside the box store. If you need to place an order, you can always call a local branch of Quality Supply and Tool and let them stand behind you in Indianapolis, Jeffersonville, and Bloomington. You can find them online, qualitysupplyandtool.com. Whether you're talking about heavy-duty regulators, whether you're talking about rolling workbenches, whatever it might be for your working needs, it is your one-source supplier. And again, we thank them for being involved. You know, I've never liked the word anniversary because that's usually a celebration. Tonight, it's not necessarily a celebration, but we mark the 46-year-ago passing of the voice of the Indianapolis 500, Sid Collins. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a day that uh, it's sad to, to think about when you think about the fact that uh, it's the day that we lost Sid Collins and, uh, you know, such an important figure. When you think about the people who were such key pivotal figures in the history of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, someone who, you know, was never behind the wheel you know, never turned a wrench, but uh, one of the true key pivotal figures in the history of the Speedway. You know, I think you can realistically say, and I don't think that I'm saying anything here that has not been said many times probably before, but would you agree that it's fair to say, certainly, that if you look at the the zenith of the Indianapolis 500-mile race and the, the growth of the Indianapolis 500-mile race, while the drivers and the automobiles and the speed were enticing to people and that's what lured people in, quite frankly, Mike, I think that a big, big, big part of kind of the legend of the Speedway comes from the fact that when you talk about radio and then if you were at the track itself, the public address announcements, there's a, a, a magic to the theater of the mind that comes with describing something and people then using their own imagery that they come up with to put color and pictures to to the words that they're hearing. That took place for a lot of people when they were at the track because if you were listening to the public address system and Tom Carnegie's talking about what's happening in turn four but you're sitting in turn one, 
you're waiting in the early days, you know, 30, 40 seconds before they eventually get to you. And you're then able to match what it was that Carnegie was describing. But certainly from a radio standpoint, Sid Collins' ability to describe not only what was happening live at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but then afterwards on vinyl record and things like that to narrate what had taken place created for people the words that they then used to create that tapestry in their mind but they needed somebody that was an artist to be able to describe those words first yeah and i mean i think that's 100 percent accurate and, and it really takes me back to the times of my life that i i just love which was listening to the 500 on radio with my family um you know keeping our charts you know sid and Paul Page would say, you know, for those of you keeping charts at home, we did that. We kept giant wall charts. And and it was really important. We were all there as a family listening to the race, but it was all theater of the mind. And and you would hear, you know, the description of Danny Sullivan's spin. And you, in your mind, wonder, what did that actually look like? Well, you wouldn't get to know what that looked like until the tape delay broadcast later that night on ABC. So so you were relying 100% on the radio network to, to tell you what that looked like and then in your mind you were thinking okay how did how did danny get away with that without without wrecking and taking mario with him and so it was all theater of the mind and and sid i think was such a big part of the growth of the sport and the growth of the 500 especially because you know while he wasn't a you know he wasn't sid i don't think was a gearhead or one of those type of guys but he loved the people and that's why i connect a lot with sid and love sid so much is because you know, I'll be honest with you. I think anybody who knows me, that's not going to be a surprise when I say, I don't care about wing angles. I'm like Donald a lot in that. I don't care about wing angles and engine displacement. I honestly don't care about any of that stuff. I care about the people. I care about the the stories. And you can tell in Sid's interviews, and you can tell in the way Sid handled and conducted himself um, when he was around drivers, you know, he had a reverence for the drivers. He really liked the drivers. He became friends with a lot of the drivers and things like that. But you you could just tell how much he, he loved the event. And, you know, he, he really brought home the excitement of a, of a rookie driver making the race. You know, how excited are you for your first turn, you know, time going into turn one and things like that. And I really think that really helped, um, you know, convey that to the people at home. You know, I think going back in, in talking about the history of Sid Collins in terms of the fact that he worked at WIBC, the fact that he, you know, was fearful over the fact that Sidney Kahn was his original name and he was worried about anti-Semitism and thus changed his name to Sid Collins. The fact that he became the chief announcer in 1952, taking over from Bill Slater and introducing more thorough concepts in terms of the coverage for the Indianapolis 500 in minute-long increments as opposed to smaller updates and then recruiting in other radio stations to form what became the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network. And, of course, being able to do the race in its entirety with turn announcers. I think that most people are familiar with those stories. Most people are familiar with who Sid Collins was. So perhaps fitting that what we do tonight is simply let you hear who he was from Sid himself. And for that matter, Mike, from Freddie Agabashian. So take me through the first piece of audio that we're going to hear here, which is kind of a role reversal for Sid Collins. 
Yeah, this was kind of fun because, uh, you know, Freddie obviously worked together with Sid pretty closely. Uh, you know, Freddie was the driver analyst uh, for several years on the radio network. But in 1961, Freddie, while he was working for Champion Spark Plug Company, put together several vignettes uh, for, for Champion. And one of the vignettes, he would interview various people. He interviewed some drivers. He interviewed some from behind the scenes people. We'll hear a couple of those uh, hopefully later in the month. But uh, one of the people he interviewed w- was Sid Collins, and he, he turned the tables a little bit and interviewed Sid instead of having it be the other way around. So this is what it sounded like back in 1961. This is Fred Agabation speaking to you from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We're going to have a little turnabout. I'm going to interview Sid Collins, the chief announcer of the Indianapolis Speedway Network, who usually interviews me. Freddie, I've always enjoyed interviewing you because it was fun. You know, many interviews get very dull, but you always had something very witty to say. Well, thank you, Sid. It was my pleasure as well in the past. Sid, as chief announcer of the Indianapolis uh, Network for the last 14 years, your responsibility grows each and every year. How many stations will you have on the network this year? Well, Fred, as the last several years, we anticipate over 400 stations plus the Armed Forces Radio Service. And by the way, when you mentioned 14 years, I know you as probably the most superstitious race driver who ever existed. You wouldn't even take green money. And I got past the 13 <laughs> years last year, so I feel pretty confident. By the way, I'm not superstitious. <laughs> I'm just cautious. Uh, looking back over the progress of the network system, give us a little outline of how it's grown in the past. Well, Fred, back in 1952, when this particular individualized network began after being carried by one of the uh, national networks before, we've grown from 26 radio stations to this particular size. And uh, we're live in Hawaii and live in Alaska and around the world, too, to all of the foreign bases and ships at sea. So it's really been a tremendous success. Well, Sid, I'm honestly looking forward to working with you on the project again this year. Uh, That certainly was an exciting race to announce last year, as far as I'm concerned. What would you say was the most exciting moment you can remember at the Speedway? Well, Freddie, last year, I think, I still have the black and blue marks when you were nudging me, and you probably have some from my return nudges when Roger Ward and Jim Rathman came around time after time, just seconds apart, and, of course, the tremendous job they did with the tire wear problems made for one of the closest finishes ever. Yeah, the tires did play a very important part in winning and finishing second on that. By the way, how many announcers will we have on the Speedway Network this year? We'll have 11 voices going. There will be 35 in the crew with engineers and producers and directors and runners and statisticians and other help. And, Fred, this year we'd like for you to try something additional, if you don't mind. I'd like to have you... Freddie's ready. (laughs) As always, I'd like to have you talk with the various drivers who drop out of the race directly from our spot in the control tower above the starting line, right down to the pit. And you can find out through your own unique interrogation why they came out. Sid, I think this would be very enlightening to our uh, listeners. It would be terrific. You've been second-guessing in the past why they were going out. Then when they do, I can find out this time if you were right. (laughs) Well, the past has proved pretty well we were right. Lucky, we'll say, huh? By the way, uh, will you be involved in any of the uh, festival activities prior to the race this year? Well, we're going to give our chief mechanic of the pole car over $5,000 in gifts. There's the big golf tournament, the parade, the coronation ball, the governor's ball. It'll be a big, big gala week here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Thank you, old buddy. This is Sid Collins. And Freddie Agabation. And Freddie Agabation. <laughs> Sid Collins, of course, is the chief announcer of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Network. 
Should probably point out, by the way, that while they talked about the fact he had been on the broadcast for 13 years, he was named chief announcer in 1952, but worked as a South Turn announcer, uh, reporter, if you will, before that. Thus, the total of why it would be year 14 for them in 1961 with Sid Collins. Uh, That's not to say, Mike, that Sid Collins wasn't also capable of kind of having a lighter side, right, and having a little bit of fun with things, including good old Joe, right? Yeah, this is one of my favorite things I've found in the last couple of years, actually. Uh, I was working with the 1953 broadcast a couple months ago, and and you know, obviously, way better than I do, Jake, about doing live reads. Um, I've never really had to do live reads, but but I know you, you have to do live reads. Well, just for example, a, yeah. like saying to people, you know, quality supply and tool, you should be thinking outside the box store, right? That's a, That's an example of a live read. That is a great example of a live read, and we, we appreciate their, their support of the program. So live reads are very important, obviously. And so we have a, a, an example here of Sid doing a live read, which is fun because Sid gives us a introduces us to good old Joe. Fans, as you know, when you put the old family bus into the regular service station, that good old Joe comes out and dumps about five gallons of gasoline into the gas tank and cleans the windshield. You talk things over. Well, that boy would never make a race mechanic, not at that pace, because in a speeding race car needs to come in the pits, as you've heard today. The driver signals the crew that he'll be in on the next lap, and they're waiting for him. There's no friendly idle discussion about the turn of events. Every man has a place, and he better be there. Six mechanics allowed on the track. That puts one on each wheel, a man to put the fuel in the tank, and a man to serve as the driver and talk to him and give him instructions. And how he goes again? In less than a minute in most cases. And that's what Luke and Greg are checking on for us all day today in a very hot spot and a busy place in the pit area. Now, wait a minute. If I'm good old Joe, aren't I a little bit offended that he's talking about how long it takes me to do something versus those at the racetrack? Yeah, well, see, good old Joe needs to pick up the pace a little bit. <laughs> what, I, what I was thinking, though, is, is there any possibility that our good friend Mark James, we could convince him to work good old Joe somewhere into the to the broadcast <laughs> on race day? Uh, you know what? Probably so, right? Probably so. Um, you know, for that matter... Who knows? At times at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, when there's a rain delay or things might get chilly, I certainly hope that doesn't take place this month of May. But uh, Mark might ask for a good old cup of Joe, right? Just to help to kind of get things going over the course of the month of May. You know, there are some legendary figures that have stopped by the Indianapolis Motor Speedway over the years. uh, And that includes some of those that are known for not only their speaking voice and being interviewed but singing voices as well and whenever those sort of dignitaries came by ims sid collins mike never hesitated to try to interview him that's right and and he you know obviously one of the things i think people have to remember about sid's broadcast and if you're not that familiar with having listened to a lot of sid's broadcasts much different than what mark james and you guys do on the crew today what paul page did what bob jenkins did uh, you know that's real time. This is happening now. Sid's broadcasts were done. I like to tell everybody that if you listen to Sid's broadcast, he's more of a master of ceremonies for the world's largest picnic. There's a race going on. I'm going to tell you what happened in a couple minutes, but not necessarily right now. <laughs> you know, um, you know, if I've got a guest in the booth, that's going to typically take precedence uh, over what's happening on the track. And so, you know, he he would keep you up to date. But, uh, you know, he had a lot of guests in the booth. And in this particular year, in 1953, uh, he had Mel Torme, the, the well-known singer, 
who was a racing enthusiast. It was very interested in sports cars and, and racing. Uh, so some of the guests, obviously, it was their first race. And, and you know, it was harder to get something out of them because maybe they didn't really know anything about racing or, or weren't familiar with it or really maybe didn't even care about racing necessarily. Mel Torme was not that. Mel Torme really had an interest in racing. And so uh, Sid, in 1953, interviewed Mel Torme. Sid Collins back here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway once again, friends, and we're watching a very sizzling race. We haven't had new records set since the end of 100 miles, but we'll probably have some more before the day is over if things keep on with Bill Vukovic leading this pack as he is doing. And right now, Art Cross is second and 16, and Marshall Teague has moved up to third in car number 22. As you know, this greatest single-day sporting attraction in the world draws celebrities and people from every walk of life, from all over the nation, and many, many foreign countries. We have Rudy Valley here in the stands. Also have the Firestone family who have done so much for racing and automobile tires. Mr. Henry Ford, Benson Ford, and William Clay Ford, the driver of this year's pace car. And many, many guests, Jane Greer, who will kiss the winner, and celebrities too numerous to mention. But a good friend we've made here at the track these past few weeks has been Mel Torme, the Velvet Fog himself. I don't know how a fog will sound over 33 roaring race car engines, although we don't have 33 left right now, Mel. But I know that you're a race car and sports car enthusiast yourself. What do you think of your first look at our big 500? Well, you know, everybody told me, Sid, that it was going to be a fantastic uh, event, that it would be a great experience, but I had no idea of the magnanimous scope of the Speedway. I had the good pleasure of being in the pits, of meeting the guys, of kind of being in on the, the pre-race activities, and also today when Wilbur Shaw said, gentlemen, start your engines. A great thrill. And... Uh, I find that the, the interest, the, the changing of positions and stuff in general has kept my interest beautifully, and I'm certain that this record crowd that is jammed in Indianapolis Speedway today is just as thrilled about it as I am. This is an event I'm sure you'll long remember, right? I now. certainly will. I'm going to try to make it every year if I possibly can. Come back and talk to us whenever you do. I will. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Mr. Mel Torme, singing here in Indianapolis this race week, and a sports car and race car enthusiast himself. One minute you are talking to Sid Collins at the Indianapolis 500. The next minute you are serenading Kramer on Seinfeld. The Velvet Fog, Mel Torme with Sid Collins. Now that's not to say that Sid Collins, when celebrities would come by, didn't necessarily uh, always avoid maybe a hot topic question or a controversial one. As a matter of fact, Mel Torme was 1953. In 1954, Marie Wilson stopped by to talk to Sid Collins and there was a controversial question involved. I'm not going to comment how many years ago that was uh, specifically, but um, enough that probably some of those questions, not what I should ask if I'm having a female celebrity upright, Mike, long time ago. 
Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, Marie Wilson wanted to know if she was supposed to kiss him on the lips or not. And, and Sid's, hey, it's up to you. You you figure that out for yourself. <laughs> whatever, you, whatever you like. I also, and I get the fact that like red carpet stuff is like, now who are you wearing? I guess who are you wearing is probably better than what are you wearing, right? But it's radio, I guess, and we'll go back to theater of the mind. We'll continue taking a look back at the greatness of the career of the man whose voice is synonymous and always will be with the Indianapolis 500, Sid Collins. When we come back to Beyond the Bricks. Fans, now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. Planning a luncheon or buffet? Well, then try Stark & Wetzel Smorgasbord, a full-pound package containing four of your favorite Stark & Wetzel sliced luncheon meats. This famous trophy loaf, made of extra lean chopped ham, tempting pickle and pimento loaf, rich and smooth texture, colorful olive loaf with those green olive slices and pimento centers, and wonderful old-fashioned loaf with that real home-style seasoning. Yes, you get four flavorful luncheon meats, perfect for picnic convenience, for quick lunches, and for party snacks. Made only of tender, lean, U.S. government-inspected meat, flavors sealed in a vacuum package. Their superb freshness and flavor is guaranteed. So look for Stark & Wetzel Smorgasbord at your store. Get four delicious kinds of Stark & Wetzel sliced luncheon meats in one convenient pound package. Remember, in Smorgasbord, in any meat, you get the best of it when you get Stark & Wetzel. Jake Query, Mike Thompson, Beyond the Bricks here, brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box store. Mike goes without saying, trophy loaf is the gift that keeps on giving every year is it not i was busy making a trophy loaf sandwich while you were doing that live read. <laughs> did you have the wonderful pimento in there i did that's the rich good. olive loaf as well <laughs> that's good yeah I, nothing sounds more tantalizing to me than a rich olive loaf i hope trophy loaf's not still around by the way we might be in trouble if they are um we're talking about sid collins who um obviously is as important as anybody when it comes not only to the Indianapolis 500, but also, of course, the creator, the the man behind the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network, which is a part of, albeit perhaps in an auxiliary sense, the Indianapolis 500 history that is very close to both myself and Mike as well. Because, Mike, I know you've done a lot of great work for the radio network as well and are a part of that uh, family in terms of your contribution which means something uh, to you as it does to me as well to be able to be a part of that we've also been talking about mike the fact that sid collins i think and i think you said it really well you know he 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 handled the broadcasts kind of in the sense of we're at the world's most exciting picnic and i'm going to tell you what's going on and oh by the way there's a race going on so we'll let you know what's happening with that but he was never afraid to interview different celebrities. And, and I think that Sid perhaps even saw himself as, you know, an Ed Sullivan type and somebody that could, could put himself in that sort of an arena. And that includes some of the biggest stars of the era, which includes our next audio clip that you have pulled, Mike. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Sid kind of saw himself as another Ed Sullivan. I think he was very fond of Ed Sullivan. He had met Ed Sullivan a number of times, and and I think he was very fond of Ed Sullivan and saw himself as kind of a variety host. You know, as you mentioned earlier in the show, Sid hosted a number of programs on WIBC, including a show called The PM Party, 
and the PM party, he would, he was essentially a variety type host. He would have all kinds of different guests on that. Now we don't, uh, I, I'd love to find some air checks of PM party. And I really would love to, you know, one of my lost, my Holy grails is to try to find in the archives, Sid doing captain Sid's treasure hunt, which was a game show that he hosted. I would love to find Sid doing captain Sid's treasure hunt, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he he saw himself as kind of a uh, you know doing this Ed Sullivan role, and and in this case, one of the biggest stars uh, of her time was Jane Mansfield, who had some Indianapolis ties uh, through her husband um, Mickey Hargitay, and she came to the Indianapolis Five Hundred in nineteen sixty and had an opportunity to be interviewed by Sid. Another guest has stopped by, a young lady. I don't know if this is her first 500-mile race or not, but I know that she's been very much uh, enjoyed being seen here at the track because she's a very famous star. Just back from Europe where she made a movie, Miss Jane Mansfield. Hello, hi, Jane. Hi, hi, Sid. How are you doing? Are you having fun? Yes, I'm having a wonderful time. This is my first 500-mile race. I've been to races in Stockton and other places in California, but nothing was ever like this. <laughs> you know Freddie Agabation, my curly friend here? How are you? Nice seeing you. Charlie Brockman now is the end of the booth over Charlie, there. how are you doing? Where'd you get this beautiful boot in here that says 500 on it? Well, it was given to me at the hotel this morning where we're staying, the Merritt Hotel here in Indianapolis. So, so I'm all decked out for the race. Well, we certainly <laughs> hope that you enjoy yourself, and thanks so much for stopping we by, sure Jane. We sure are. We, we, did, we got in Wednesday, you know, where we did the Loves of Hercules, Mickey and I co-starred in Europe, and we came in especially from Rome to see the race. Well, you should have a favor. They've nicknamed Jim Herdebees Hercules in this event. Oh, have they really? Yes, indeed. Well, you watch fabulous. him, will you? I think Roger Ward is, is going to come off with that yeah, I, we'll I, see what a good uh, race predictor that. you are. Thank you, Miss Jane Mansfield. Okay. Right, bye bye. Well, as I turn back around here again toward the racetrack, Mr. Agabation, uh, we have on the track the present time, Mr. Jim Rathman still holding down that lead, and Jane Mansfield's choice, Roger Ward, in second spot, and Johnny Thompson in third. Bettenhausen's car evidently uh, is not uh, causing too much trouble, even with the smoke. No, you're right, Sid, and here comes Troy Rutman. He just made a quick pit stop, too, while uh, you were looking at what just left. <laughs> Luke Walton now in the south pit. Come in, Luke. Jay Mansfield's prediction was only off by two years because Roger Ward would win it in 1962, of course, and that year where she was in the booth, it was Jim Rathman that would win the Indianapolis 500. Uh, a number of stars, Mike, whose audio that you have pulled was Sid Collins. So take us through the next in terms of the megastars of really a multitude of different levels in both film and television that we hear from with Sid. This is one of my all-time favorite radio clips, which is uh, Sid in 1966 having the opportunity to star, uh, talk to uh, Cesar Romero, who, of course, everyone will know as the uh, you know Joker from the Batman series, but also was the star of the classic film Lost Continent, which is a, a mystery science theater classic that you might enjoy, uh, Lost Continent with Cesar Romero. But this is one of my all-time favorite clips because... Um, and I'll tell you on the back back side uh, why, but but really this is one of my all time favorite Sid Collins clips. We have a guest coming by. We saw last evening. Caesar, how are you? Nice to see you. Let me get get up here if I can under these wires and say hello to you. Caesar Romero, a guest who told us last night at the uh, president's reception for the 500 festival, it was his first 500 mile race, and I'm sorry it had to start off this way for you, my friend. Well, I am too, Sid. Uh, it is my first race, and everything has been so great so far. Uh, a tremendously exciting time. The three days that I've been here, up until this present moment, uh, coming here. Uh, 
this morning and going around the the track uh, everybody's screaming and yelling and cheering it was really tremendously exciting but my heavens when i saw what happened there of course i thought that probably somebody must have been very badly hurt all i could see were tires flying in the air and it looked as if cars were were turning over and it was uh, an awful mess but uh, i think we can all be uh, tremendously grateful that no one was badly hurt at all we're thrilled over that feeling right now oh, yes you, yes but it, it's such a shame because these men uh, work so hard all year long for this one chance and it's uh, it's terrible to see a thing like this happen to, to have them get out of the race even before the thing actually hardly got started well that's the way they feel about it this is their life they work for and this is the big one you know today and not even to have a chance to compete is is very frustrating indeed well i can understand that well it's a, it's a shame it's a, it's a, and it's a kind of put for me it's put sort of a damper on it i don't know <laughs> well we'll do that i think once but, we start again of course you won't see the 33 car field but you'll see uh, an abbreviated field and i hope a good race caesar well i hope so too but it's, it's been a wonderful experience i'm delighted to have thank been you. here thank you for coming thank by you, i said. like to give Give you a gold-filled Zippo lighter as a guest of the network here well, for being on the program. Very, very welcome. Thank you, sir. Have a nice time. Cesar Romero, very personable gentleman. Gold-filled Zippo lighter made in, by the way, Bradford, Pennsylvania. In case you're wondering, in 1966, Don Branson, Billy Foster, Gary Congdon, A.J. Foyt, Dan Gurney, Kale Yarborough, Arnie Nepper, Al Miller, Bobby Graham, Larry Dixon, Ronnie uh Duman, all involved in the opening lap accident that he was referring to which was a bit of a downer i guess for anybody coming out to the race and not being able to see that flying start right off the bat but the reality is mike that any of that so long as everybody was okay and not critically injured in that accident you feel a okay when you're able to walk away with a goldfield zippo lighter that's right that's one of my favorite clips because first of all sid just out of the blue that was the thing they did that year was they gave everyone who came to the booth got a goldfield zippo lighter just randomly which i, I thought was interesting and I love Caesar's delight at all. Oh, thank you very much, Sid, for this just, you know, wonderful gift, right? So I, you know, everyone I think knows that I'm a, I'm a big Indianapolis, you know, 500 memorabilia collector. I finally had the opportunity to see one of these lighters uh, a couple years ago after the, uh, the sad passing of Miss um, Mary Holman George. They had an auction in Terre Haute where they were auctioning off her personal possessions and actually she had one of these in her possession and i was going to bid on it i was i said i'm i'm bidding on this because i i have to have the gold filled zippo lighter that caesar romero was so happy to get and i thought it's probably going to go for 100 bucks tops and and i'll get this with no problem and the bidding kept going up and up and up and up and i i stopped i'm not kidding you i stopped bidding at 350 dollars and, and I didn't end up winning it. Somebody else won the lot that had the gold-filled Zippo lighter. So I'm still looking for my gold-filled Zippo lighter. I mean, they're filled um, with gold. From Mike. the radio network that Cesar Romero got. You know, they're filled with gold, so probably 350 no, I'm just kidding. Uh, pretty cool to have, though. I mean, something like that because of what exactly it represented. And perhaps... A year later, in 1967, there were a couple of guests that came by the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that might have themselves gotten a gold-filled Zippo lighter, starting with Lauren Green. Back in the master control tower once again, and a man who certainly is used to riding on the range, regardless of weather, is Lauren Green from the television show Bonanza. They have their sponsor's pace car, the Chevrolet Camaro, out here today. And, Lauren, we apologize to you for our Indiana weather. It normally isn't like this. Well, I'll tell you, things like this happen at the Ponderosa, too. And uh, it's just too bad that it happened with all these wonderful people out here. My, what a tremendous 
crowd of people around here today. What do you do on the Ponderosa when it happens? Well, we... Uh, Mr. Holman wants to run right down. Well, we, uh, we get the cattle in, and uh, we milk them two or three times, you know, just to keep them busy. It'd <laughs> be a full-time job with this crowd. <laughs> and then we, uh, then we feed them, and then we go out and try to... Uh, clean off the range, get all that wet off so the cows can go out again and not slip around so much. No, this is, uh, uh, of course, we're, we're kidding here, but it is too bad that on a great, wonderful day like this that the rain should have to come. Uh, but it does happen, you know, and it hasn't happened too often over the years. Very, very seldom. 1950 is the last time we've had this race stop for rain. I understand uh, they, they, they have big engines here which come out and dry up the track. Is that is that correct? That's right. There are some blowers that will go around, but we'll have to have some help from, the, of course, the water stopping and its downfall first, <laughs> then uh, some wind to come across. The wind really dries the track as well as anything over this acreage of ground. I'm a little disappointed. It's, uh, you know, developing into quite a race. Uh, Roger McCluskey came up uh, awfully good, and uh, Dan Gurney, and uh, A.J. Point, and uh, the, the, a lot of the cars are running real good, and of course that, uh, uh, that SDP that Pernelli uh, uh, Jones car was really humming along, wasn't it? Off to a fantastic yeah. start, and this is the test for it today, and I'm sorry they couldn't have proved it in a continuous fashion. We might get back on the track again. Yeah, I was uh, sorry to see what happened to uh, Mario Andretti, but uh, maybe with this rain he'll have a chance to come back into the race. That's right. It could be a very great blessing in disguise for him. Yeah. Well, Lauren, enjoy yourself somewhere around here, out of the water. <laughs> nice well, you came by to see us. Thank you so much. Thank you. To Lauren Green. That 1967 race, by the way, was delayed on lap 19 due to rain. They came back and ran it the next day on Tuesday, May 31st, when A.J. Foyt was, of course, the winner. But during that delay, speaking of Bonanza, Lauren Green wasn't the only star from that television series to visit with Sid Collins that was at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, a guy that many of you might recognize more so for his time later in his career on Little House on the Prairie. But Michael Landon also was at the Indianapolis 500. Back in the master control power tower once again. We're going off the air in about two minutes and be back in 30. And uh, Mike Landon stopped by. The entire Bonanza crew is here. Hoss, and we heard from Lauren Green a few moments ago. Little Joe from Bonanza. Mike, you uh, film your show, don't you? Yes, that's right. We shoot at Paramount Studios in Hollywood. Think I should film this one next time? We cut and edit right now. Depending on the weather, yeah. Isn't this something? That's a shame. I, I understand it's only the second time that uh, uh, if it is stopped totally, that it would be stopped. But, however, I hear that the, the airport had only rained for 30 minutes, so I think there's a good chance we'll be starting up again soon. I hope you're right. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks you. for stopping by. Right. Mike Landon from California was here with the uh, Chevrolet gang. They've been here for a lot of the activities here during month of May. Michael Landon was thinking to himself, wait a minute, the song says that it doesn't rain in Indianapolis in the springtime, but it certainly did that year in 1967. Taking a look back at Sid Collins, his illustrious career inside the booth, and we will hear more from Sid Collins, including when we come back, his final goodbye at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network, and... What happens when he's hungry and on the air at the same time? We'll elaborate on that as we return to Beyond the Bricks, brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box store. This is Beyond the Bricks, brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box store on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jake Query, Mike Thompson. Beyond the Bricks, brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool Company. Think outside the box store. Let them stand behind you. If you need to place an order, you can always call your local branch 
by simply finding out whether it's Indianapolis, Jeffersonville, or Bloomington, where to call. Check out qualitysupplyandtool.com. We've been talking about Sid Collins. Uh, this might be, and I realize, Mike, that you know we are talking about him on this day because it was on May 2nd of 1977 that we lost Sid Collins. But when we do this program, this might be my favorite that we do just because of the fabulous audio that shows not only the talent of Sid Collins, but really the scope in which the Indianapolis 500 reached out to people from all walks of fame back when Sid Collins was inside the radio booth. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the fact that Sid could get Lauren Green and Cesar Romero and Mel Torme, all these people wanted to be in the booth. I mean, Dinah Shore, and they, they all wanted to be in the booth and they all wanted to talk to Sid. And and Sid, you know, he, Sid was a very personable person. He was a, a people person. Uh, and, you know, he did a great job. Uh, Donald always tells the stories about what a great, uh, you know, master of ceremonies he was at different events and things like that. I think I think people really, truly gravitated towards Sid. You know, among those that he talked to, not just inside of the entertainment world from a film and television standpoint, but other sports as well would stop by the booth. Correct, Mike? That's correct. And I think this is an interesting person uh, because I think Tom Harmon is, is who we're talking about here, a Heisman Trophy winner, but uh, someone who I think uh, we'll talk about a little bit more on the backside. But uh, this is Tom Harmon in 1967 with Sid. Tom Harmon is here, broadcaster in Los Angeles on the National Network, covering this event, I assume, for his show this evening. And, of course, you know him as a great uh, football player from Michigan and also a native of Indiana. Tom, nice to see you again. Thank you, Sid. It's good to be back in the old Hoosier State. You were on this microphone with me some years ago. I've forgotten how long, but you were here before in this booth. I think it was two years ago, Sid. Well, time goes by rather rapidly. It's nice to have you back. Were you here yesterday for the uh, unfortunate weather? Yes, uh, we were kind of sweating it out a little bit, hoping they could get the race in, but they've turned up a beautiful day today so everything's going fine. Do you follow much racing out in California? Quite a bit, as you probably know very well, that uh, racing in Southern California is a very, very high-interest sport. I see Les Richter and some of the other fellows who are more closely involved in it out there are here for the race, and uh, they have fantastic crowds out there, Sid. Well, it's growing all over the country. I think the figures now are at the second-largest attended spectator sport after horse racing auto racing. Well, the excitement, the enthusiasm, and I think that there's nothing that can replace speed. Everybody is interested in that. Tom, I think we're picking up our turbine car down here for a pit stop, so stick around. And we have the glasses on. Chuck Marlowe, take him here in the north pit. Here comes Parnelli. Right to Sid. He's just put up his air brake. They're moving the hood, the exhaust hood over the top. Again, the fireman moves in as the hoses move in to make the refueling. No effort to change the tires. The brilliant SDP uniforms surrounding the cars. Granatelli moves over for a drink. This time he's out of the way of the wheel. Let's see how long it's going to take. All hands in that dead area working very hard on the car. They're giving him a bit more fuel this time. The last load must have been token load. Now they've pulled away. They're giving the motion. Off he goes. Parnelli Jones in the turbine. Back to you, Sid. A beautiful pit stop, and we could even see the smile on Andy Granatelli's face. He's the one who personally handed him the water. Or maybe it was STP. I don't know what he gave him to drink there, Len. At any rate, that car is back out again and running very smoothly. Tom, you got a good look at that stop from here. Yes, indeed. Well, Parnelli's an old favorite, so uh, we're wishing him well. He's really driving a bomb. Real nice to see you, Tom. Thanks for stopping by. Sid, thank you. Right. This is Tom Harmon from Los Angeles. Jake, my question for you, though, is Tom Harmon, he won the Heisman Trophy in 1940, obviously an incredible accomplishment. But is he? Is it possible he's the only 
Heisman Trophy winner whose son is more famous than he is. You know, I was thinking about that because his son, Mark Harmon, the answer probably is yes, because Mark Harmon, who himself was a college football player and then a successful actor, and most importantly, that means that Tom Harmon is not only a Heisman Trophy winner who later went on to work for ABC Sports, which would be why he was at the Indy 500 in 1967, but also was the father-in-law, posthumously perhaps, uh, I'm not sure what year Tom Harmon passed away, but um, to Pam Dauber, who was Mindy from Mork and Mindy. And that's the most important thing, right? Anytime that's correct, you absolutely. Anytime you a Mork and Mindy reference. By the way, every once in a while, and I know this all too well from broadcasting the Indianapolis 500, but every once in a while, um, you know, you, you get hungry, right? You absolutely get hungry. And so that includes Sid Collins, right, Mike? That's correct. Uh, he had a little bit of downtime in 1976 because of the uh, rain delay, waiting to see if they were going to go back out on the track, which they, they did not because of the, the rain and it, they were called the race and, and Johnny Rutherford won. And he made a quick aside about what happens when he wants to try to eat when he's on the air. John, thank you indeed. You know, I have, people have asked me when I make talks around the country so often, uh, how do you eat or do you eat during a broadcast the race? And you just now caught me. I said, well, what happens is usually sometime during the thing, I reach out and I take one bite of a cheese sandwich or a chicken sandwich, and I get about the one bite in, and somebody says, like you did, Sid, <laughs> and the part of the chicken sandwich is now heading toward Freddie Agabation. See, it happens, right, Mike? And I'm not going to mention the fact that people often ask what happens when you have to go to the restroom during the broadcast. I will simply say that in turn three, it's the most advantageous place to broadcast the Indianapolis 500-mile race in terms of the turn announcement assignments because there's a stairwell that goes down right there into one of the men's rooms in the northeast section of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And fortunately, the great fans of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the few times if there's a caution long enough that I'm able to hop down and run down those stands figure out what's going on and typically will kind of clear the area because they know I've got to get back on the air. Mike, a lot of fun tonight. Tomorrow night we're going to continue talking about some of the voices from the drivers that were winners in the early years of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. But to end tonight, we want to finish with a memory of Sid Collins, his final sign-off as the chief announcer of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network. And now this final thought for our winner. Enthusiasm with wisdom will carry a man further than any amount of intellect without it. The men who have most powerfully influenced the world have not been so much men of genius as they have been men of strong conviction with an enduring capacity for work coupled with enthusiasm and determination. Johnny Rutherford showed these qualities today in becoming victorious over the Indianapolis 500. Each year, many of you write asking for the sign-off quote, such as the one I have just recited. If you wish a copy, send a self-addressed stamped envelope along with your request to me, care of Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Indianapolis, Indiana. Sid Collins, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Indianapolis. Be sure to include a self-addressed stamped envelope. So until next May, this is Sid Collins, the voice of the 500, wishing you good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where in the world you are right now. We're here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway at the crossroads of America. Goodbye. The 500, the 500, the greatest race in the world, from the opening bomb till the race is done. Thrill after thrill after thrill The 500, the 500 The biggest and best of them all
flags on the display.